Hello and welcome to a new episode of Behind the Grand Podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Paige. And I'm Niharika. Today we're joined by Sinaki Lawyers, which is a boutique law firm for creative minds and businesses. They practice in commercial law and intellectual property, specializing in helping creative industries and small businesses with their legal issues. They are a dynamic and vibrant firm whose philosophy is to offer practical and cost-effective legal advice through their caring, experienced and dedicated team so that their clients can get back to doing what they love. So Nikki advises a lot of standout clients that I'm sure many of you listeners know. In the music and entertainment industry, clients include Daryl Braithwaite, G Flip and Danny Minogue. And in the commercial space, clients such as Mosh Ticks, Windsor Smith and Tourism Australia, just to name a few. Although they were only founded in 2009, the firm's extensive client lists and many practice areas reflect the team's impressive backgrounds where their creative and commercial endeavours can shine. So today you'll be hearing from Darren, Natalie and Moira, but instead of hearing from us, we'll let them introduce themselves. We'll start with you, Darren. Hi everyone, my name is Darren Sanicki and I'm the principal of Sanicki Lawyers here in Chapel Street, Paran in Melbourne. Our firm specialises in entertainment and IP law as well as commercial litigation. Thank you. You're just down the street from me. How about you, Moira? My name is Moira McKenzie. I'm a senior associate here at Sanicki Lawyers and been here for going into my 10th year, so a long time. And I specialise in music and entertainment and IP. Very cool. I'm sure super excited to hear more about that a little bit later on. How about you, Nat? Hey everyone, my name is Natalie King. I have been a lawyer about six years now and I specialize in commercial litigation. Cool, thank you. So our podcast is called Behind the Grind. So we always start off with our first question, which is what is your favorite coffee order? And we've had such a range of responses. So we're really excited to hear. Um, We'll start with you this time, Moira. That's pretty boring. It's just a strong flat white. The stronger the better. <laughs> no, that's a crucial How crucial many are choice. you having a day? Uh, try and get, limit it to two. <laughs> that's good. That's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Darren? Mine's even more boring. Mine's just a skinny cup. And no, but I have two I have two coffees in the morning usually before I come to work and I don't have any here. So I can <laughs> So my caffeine intake can be a diet coke, which I like to have about lunchtime. That's awesome. Try and keep it going in the afternoon. Yeah, I might have to change my coffee order to a diet coke. (laughs) I definitely can get around the diet coke a lot more than I can with a normal coffee. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take diet coke ahead of coffee any day. (laughs) How about you, Natalie? Uh, Also incredibly boring. It's a skinny cup as well, uh, but the largest size that the cafe can can accommodate <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome no i like all these classic coffee choices some people get way too creative and i don't even know what that is and i think if i was a barista i would very strongly dislike you for showing up <laughs> yeah, that's cool. my wife I have to, i'm still trying to work out my wife's coffee order <laughs> it's got to do with almond milk but it's a different there's different types of almond milk apparently i don't know they, it's all too they, much our next one is the music question. So what is a song that you would put on in the morning to put you in a good mood and get your day started? Darren, you look pretty excited about this one. I'm, no, with I'm, you. Not, I'm not. I even, even when I saw the question, I, I yelled tomorrow. I said, I don't know what I'm going to say. What, like, <laughs> I, just, like I, I mean, I wouldn't put on YMCA by the village people, but it always puts a smile on my face. I don't know. Something, for me, it would be something by the Doobie Brothers, maybe. Like, look. Yeah. Like, Long train running or something like that. Ooh. Oh, oh yeah. we'll have to have a listen. Um, 
uh, so many songs, but the one that I'm enjoying at the moment is off a new album by Fiona Apple called Keep Me Under the Table, which is very irreverent, kind of cheeky song. So, yeah, that one. <laughs> that sounds great. How about you, Natalie? I'm not going to lie, this one was actually a bit of a struggle for me because I actually listen mostly to Japanese music. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a nerd. <laughs> but uh, definitely one song that is just is so super catchy and it gets stuck in my head is I Want You Back by Jackson 5. I actually had Very that played cool. at my wedding recently, so that was, that was fun. Everyone got up on the dance floor. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. a nice memory. And then if you could put something in a time capsule 15 years ago, what would have it been? <laughs> no, no, I have to think about this one. <laughs> Natalie, do you want to go first this time? I had to really think about this one. Um, I would probably say, again, going with the nerd theme, a working Game Boy. <laughs> oh, I like actually, it. that's quite cool. My dad actually recently to Melbourne sent me my old PSP, like the handheld console, <laughs> oh, yeah. and it still had Ratchet and Clank in it, and I wanted to play it so bad, but there's no charges for it. I have no idea where <laughs> to find one. Yeah, I, I, so, I know exactly what you mean. It's just so hard to um, actually find. I mean, even if you, you want to play a game and it's it not been re-released on any other console, you have to find the original mm-hmm. console, find the charger, and then hope that all of the bits sort of all fit together <laughs> to keep working. <laughs> No, definitely. And then it doesn't fit into any TV or anything that you have now. So you need 500 adapters to get it to plug in. That is actually such a good thing to put in a time capsule because I would kill to be able to play Nintendogs again. But I played it so much as a kid that the the card just doesn't work anymore like the console works fine the card doesn't work no that's a great suggestion for a time capsule item how about you Maura probably something fashion related I used to have a lot more crazy fashion than I probably have now since I'm (laughs) a bit more mature so probably some crazy pair of shoes or something that I no longer own I'd say (laughs) (laughs) that's cool that's so much fun I love that one all right, Darren, are you ready? It's your moment to shine. Yeah, it's your moment to shine. No, well, apart, from my, apart from my hair, um, <laughs> I'm going to say definitely the record collection I had as a kid, which I'm still hoping is at my mum's house somewhere in a box because I used to have dozens and dozens of records that I would have paid about, you know, three or four bucks for. Um, Ten bucks for an album, $1.99 for a single, and I used to have a lot of them. And I feel if I had them all now, I'd be incredibly wealthy. You would be. But they I, will pay $50 when I, when for I a record. When I walk JB and I see them for $40, I'm like, are you actually kidding me? Um, <laughs> They're but, trendy again. But I'm hoping I'm hoping that one day in my mum's storeroom where there's just boxes on top of boxes, one day in the future I'll open it and there'll be all my records there and I'll be extremely <gasps> excited. Gosh, that My fingers are so crossed for you because they are so expensive. I, I feel like everyone had a CD and CDs were cool and then we got yeah. iPhones and iPods and now just owning a record for no other purpose than displaying it on a wall and looking cool. They are so expensive again and they're making them. Well, I'm a lot older than all of you, so that's all we had was records. <laughs> No, I definitely, I can definitely say that I was one of those people that really wanted one just so I could look cool in my room, but it was way too expensive for me to afford, so I'll stick to my my little iPhones and iPods and things. 
Well, that's been great. I definitely feel like we know you a little bit better. So we'd love to know, I guess, why you chose to work at Suniki and maybe, Darren, why you chose to start it and maybe also a little bit about why you chose to work in your particular team or in the law at all. Start with you, Darren. I studied law as a mature age student. So I didn't, I didn't study law until I was in my late 20s. And before that, I sort of worked in and around the music industry. And then that all got very, very hard. And I was always interested in business. And I was always, I'd studied economics and I'd done a year of law. And I got really excited when I had to work with a couple of music lawyers. And I always thought, oh, I'd love to be a music lawyer because I knew a little bit about music and I was interested. So I went back to study law in my late 20s. And then I, I got a job at a firm that was great and progressive and had an entertainment department and I got a taste for it and I got a few clients and then it was 2009, it was the GFC and it was just all very hard and I just oh thought gosh. if there's ever going to be a time where I can just try something, now's the time to do it. And so um, I opened the firm in 2009 out of my house, out of my bedroom, literally. <laughs> Almost 12 years later, here we are. I know, look at it now. That's amazing. What a cool story. Congratulations. I think it's really great when people are mature age law students because I think that for some reason law students think that you need to graduate really young and it's going to take you 500 years to do anything you want to do in the legal space when lo and behold you do not. No, I think that's one of the great things about, well, Paige and I do a JD and I think that's one of the cool things that we've noticed is, you know, we have all kinds of students from all kinds of backgrounds and they all bring something different to the discussion. When you're talking about something in the law, everyone has a different perspective and it's really, really great. Maura, could you tell us a little bit about why you chose to work at Suniki and maybe in your particular team as well? Yeah, so I studied music before. I did a Bachelor of Contemporary Music before I studied law. I never even considered being a lawyer growing up, so it was a bit of a weird snap decision to study law. I just thought I'd give it a go and see what it was like. Yeah, so when I finished my degree, I studied at Southern Cross Uni in, in Lismore in, on the north coast of New South Wales. I didn't really want to live in Sydney, so the only real place to look for work in this area was Melbourne. And so I contacted Darren to do my placement as part of my um, GDLP. Yeah, I think at first you said you didn't have any room. That was probably when you were working from your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, you didn't have any space for any interns. Um, but, yeah, a little while later I remember Darren called me and said he did have some um, some room and that was when you were in your first office, I think, Darren. Yeah. And there was a little desk that I shared with Charlotte and still here. <laughs> no regrets. Amazing. How about you, Natalie? I didn't really ever set out to be a lawyer. It's sort of expected that you'll either become a doctor or a lawyer, um, <laughs> possibly an, an accountant. But um, I, 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 can't, I can't do math um, and I'm really bad with words. So it was sort of like law was always going to be the path for me. So I studied law at university. I went to Monash, did, a, um, did my law degree there. Found that it wasn't actually too bad. So um, funny thing is I always thought I'd be a criminal lawyer because I was like oh that's where the excitement is always wanted to have something to do with the court but when I came out of uni um, I did I did a lot of studies in in, in criminal law couldn't find a job <laughs> when I came out um, and so I sort of fell into into commercial but um, I guess I was very lucky at that time to be in a firm that did a lot of litigation so I did reasonably good at it so that's sort of where I've been for most of my career. 
I chose to come to Sanaki because of the culture. I actually met one of our, our property lawyers at a, a random networking meeting and she was lovely and she was giving a presentation and I was like, yes, this firm is a firm that I want to work for. Oh, that's so lovely. And I think it's great to hear that, you know, you maybe had this idea of the kind of lawyer that you wanted to be and then things didn't work out, but you still kind of found your place in the law and you enjoy it and you love where you work and what you do. So that's, I think, a really great message to to put out there that things do fall in place and everything kind of works out. Could you tell us a bit more about the work that you do in media and entertainment law and maybe highlight some cases that you've worked on that you know, were unique and really enjoyable or I guess why media and entertainment law and why is it so different and special to you guys? It's quite broad. I heard a friend of mine who's a film lawyer talking the other day and <laughs> so he's a film lawyer and I suppose we're, we're more music lawyers and even though we're all entertainment lawyers, we don't know what each other do and we don't understand what <laughs> each other do. So it's very, very, you know, we all come under the umbrella probably of commercial law. I mean, we do. The entertainment can be quite broad. We specialise in music. We do all areas of it. Of, of, of entertainment, I guess, and all people in the entertainment industry. So all mm-hmm. entertainment lawyer means is that your clients are in the entertainment industry. And for us, I guess, more particularly the the music industry, mostly contract work, you know, working with young artists and just helping them on their way because often they get presented with all these contracts that they don't know what they mean <laughs> or what their obligations are or how it works and, and we help them with that was involved in a really pretty big court case that went on for about three and a half years for a client, Bruce Woodley, who was a member of the band The Seekers. I don't know if you've heard of them. Way, way before your time. Even before my time, actually. That was great, you know, to go to the Copyright Tribunal and then we sort of lost. We, we won, but we lost on costs and then we appealed and went to the Federal Court. And just to be involved in something like that, stick in your mind. But I, I remember going to the Federal Court and it was at the time, it was, it was a few years ago now, when all the Essendon football drug scandal stuff was happening. Uh, and, and, I, and I remember um, watching one of the cases where James Hurd went to the federal court to try and appeal it all and he lost and this judge shut him down and then all <laughs> the court and, went, and the same judge was sitting there. Oh my God, that was James Hurd's judge. Like we're in trouble. You know? <laughs> yeah. Did you want to go next, Laura? So yeah, like Darren said, I mostly work with musicians and other people who are part of the music industry. So music managers and little record labels and um, publishing companies and festivals and ticket companies and all those sorts of things. Yeah, most of it is either they, they come to us and they need a contract reviewed, so especially musicians haven't necessarily even seen a contract before, they don't understand what the implications of signing it are and people probably wouldn't necessarily even realise that they're negotiable or that they have the opportunity to try and negotiate a better deal. So that's our, our main role would be to first of all make sure they understand the contracts and then try and help negotiate them on their behalf to make them better. Sometimes people come to us and they want contracts drafted up. So if it's a manager, then they might want a contract that they can provide their artists with. Or if it's a little, you know, music business that's starting off and they need their they need their terms okay. and conditions. And yeah, so all different kinds of things like that. And then obviously people do have disputes with each other in the entertainment industry. It relates to IP in some way, copyright, or it might be relating to the contracts they've signed or haven't signed. Yeah, getting involved in advising and helping to resolve most of those disputes. How about you, Natalie, with the uh, commercial litigation work that you do? Well, as I said, I've always sort of known that I was going to be a litigator. I've done employment litigation. I've done IP litigation. Being a litigator, it's versatile and it exposes you to a lot of different practice areas. So you sort of end up being jack of all trades. You, you sort of know a bit about most areas of law and then you have to fill in the gap. 
A large part of it is also client management. Usually it's going to be financial considerations. Most of, of litigation really is being able to negotiate learning how to manage each client because they're all different. Each yeah. client will have different expectations, different needs, and just different ways of communicating as well. So being able to be across all of that and, and manage your clients effectively is a key part to being a litigator. This year has been particularly interesting just because it's just something we haven't ever seen before with the COVID <laughs> lockdowns and, and all that. So we actually recently had a matter where one of our clients was actually being sued. They had been planning a big event, which obviously because of the lockdown and the closure mm-hmm. of international borders didn't eventuate. So there were a lot of interesting arguments coming out in relation to whether the contract was frustrated. Yeah, that's huge. That's awesome. Congrats on that. But I I also thought it was really interesting how you spoke about client management skills, especially with something with like commercial litigation. From my understanding, and obviously correct me if this is wrong, but from my understanding, a lot of the matters can go for quite a long time. So client management, but also client management over a long period of time would be unique and and really crucial to the work that you do. So thank you for sharing that. So our next one is, Natalie, you spoke about this before, about the firm culture um, and how when you met that lawyer that you thought they were super nice and welcoming and that really excited you and drew you to the firm. How would you describe the firm culture? And that can also include, like, what are some of the fun things that you guys do? Fun, supportive, and I think those are incredibly key. I have to say that when I met Ariel, the property lawyer, I I had never actually met a lawyer who was so enthusiastic about what she does. And it was genuine excitement about what she was doing. And I've never heard a lawyer be like, I love my boss. I love my firm. I love my team. um, That was refreshing. And I came away with the impression that that sounds like a firm that I want to work for, which says a lot about Darren and how he's created this culture of inclusivity and, and fun. I guess in terms of fun things that we do, we go out for lunch fairly regularly. We were thinking of going and doing some pub trivia. Um, Maybe over like Friday night drinks, that sort of thing, which we do regularly as well. That's really lovely and really nice. Maybe, Darren, you could speak a bit about how you fostered that culture or why you think that culture is really important for your firm. Yeah, I just made sure, okay, well, the first thing I had to do when I set up an office was to make sure that there was a fridge and it was always stocked with beer and wine and, and there's always chips and chocolate around. I certainly want people to be here that want to be here and that enjoy being here. You know, it makes clients want to be around us as well. No, that's great. That's so lovely. I think one of the things that Paige and I have kind of seen over the period of running this podcast and having different guests on is that, you know, there's a bit of a double-edged sword to the law. There's good and there's bad days, but we'd love if you could each share, I guess, maybe one success that you've had, but also maybe one of the challenges that you face. We'll start with you this time, Laura. Yeah, success. I don't know. I mean, I can't really think of a single success. I think just I feel having developed my own client base and feel in control of yeah my, my own kind of um, practice in a way is, is my yeah. success. And the challenge, I think, is just an ongoing challenge of making everyone feel special and important and like their work's <laughs> the main thing that you're doing. But that is a challenge when you've got 20 clients who are all waiting for something and some are more vocal than others. <laughs> so, yeah, and I don't think that's ever going to go away. You just have to not let it stress you out. How about you, Natalie? Being able to work through all of the really complex issues and be like, yes, I, I get this, I understand this, and this is where I'm going, especially with litigation, when you have a clear strategy, it's 
and then the strategy works. <laughs> it, it can be incredibly, incredibly rewarding. As I said, it can get quite emotional. So the fact that your client is still with you, still trusting you and has, has basically put their matter in your hands is incredibly rewarding. Challenges are sort of also the day-to-day challenges, time management, client management. Do you get some very difficult clients who won't take your advice? Well, I think it's all part of the realities of working with people, right? Everyone's different and figuring that out and managing that is really important. Uh, how about you, Darren? A success and a challenge? Them, obviously, it's I'm very, very proud of them. And, yeah. Um, and I love them. Honestly, I cannot think of one day in 12 years where I've woken up and not been excited to go to work. The smile on your face says it all. But we're a small firm, so... You know, we, we act for, more often than not, we're acting for the, the little guy. Mm. But it's, you know, the bigger companies who, you know, who uh, are engaging, you know, the big law firms and the top tier law firms. I, mean, I don't know, I've never worked in a top tier law firm, but they've got the big clients and the big companies and money isn't an issue and costs aren't as much of an issue. And it's still stressful, litigation in particular, or disputes are very stressful, but it's probably not the same as our client base, who are generally... Um, you know, individual people who are paying for, you know, the services out of their own out of their own pocket, and yeah. it's it's expensive to go to any lawyer, um, and especially if you're going to be involved in a dispute, and you know, which which might end up in court, then it then it gets crazy expensive. So, you know, what Natalie said, you know, really dealing, you know, if you're dealing with the, the little guy and small clients, and they're spending a lot of money to to try and um, you know protect protect their rights or or, or get what they feel they deserve it's, it, you know managing that that process is extremely stressful and and the client management as well as you know giving the right advice is is everything but when you do get some successes it's unbelievably rewarding you know and you know, and I did a case last year which is in the papers so we can we can say who it is which involved um acting for a lady who managed um Shane Jacobson, the actor, mm-hmm. and it was, it was a management dispute, and as I said, it was sort of in the newspaper, so it's not that um, secret. But we, but we, you know, we're we're acting for you know a young a young lady who was incredibly stressed, and just to help her and 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 get a result that um, you know we, we we got a we got a good result that that she was happy with, and that went on for two years, and and even just to finish that and sort of the look on her face and the sort of you know just to get a thank you at the end you know is makes it all work but you know just knowing that you've actually um helped someone who gen- genuinely needed your help and, and and it made a big difference to that that person's life you know that's that's the most rewarding you know just to get a thank you at the end makes it all work but you know just knowing that you've actually um helped someone who gen- genuinely needed your help it made a big difference to that that person's life you know that's that's the most rewarding if you could do law school again is there anything that you would have changed about your experience or things you would have done instead? I would have tried to do some more placement. I only did one um, placement in a law firm towards the end of my degree. So I got to go to court and do, yeah, like all different kinds of matters and nothing to do with what I do now, but I just really found it very fascinating and just seeing how the lawyers interacted with their clients and whenever we, we have lots of interns who come through our firm and that's probably the one thing that I would say to them is just to get as much experience as you can while you're still studying. You know, it's not just for experience, for experience sake, it's also so that you can understand what the job is like and see it firsthand and, and make sure that is actually what you want to do. <laughs>
Darren, do you want to go? I think you have very unique advice here too because I don't think we've had a mature age student advice in this space, so I think it would be very beneficial. It's very easy for me to say, oh, well, did all this 10 years too late. Like, I love it, and now, you know, I, I should have done it earlier, and I, then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have all the experience and the life experience, and it was all, you know, all the other stuff I did in my 20s, which, which I won't go through, but it was lots of different things. I had a small business, and I worked in the music industry and whatever, and it's all that that actually made me and the firm, I guess, who, who we are. So I can't have any regrets about that. So, no, I don't think I would do anything different. Yeah, no, that's great. How about you, Natalie? Did you have any advice to share? Actually, really interesting to hear Darren's perspective because mine is just, my experience is, is just the complete opposite. Um, I did law well, undergrad, um, so that was my first degree, and I, at the time, really didn't want to do it, so I definitely resisted. I probably would have done a different degree first on law postgrad. It would have given me a, a very different perspective. I would have had a little bit more life experience and I would also probably pick some other subjects. I feel that with my law degree, as I said, I did mostly criminal law subjects with a very one-track mind that I would become a criminal lawyer. And again, it's keeping an open mind because I categorically said, I am not interested in tax and superannuation. I'm not going to do it. And now I'm like, well, I should have. <laughs> um, kind of building off that, I guess we'd love to know maybe from you, Natalie, what are some of the skills that you think are most important for someone wanting to work, you know, in the same practice area as you? Client management skills. I know I've talked about that a lot. It's just something that I think can be very overlooked, not just about being a great lawyer. It's also being a people person. I still have a lot to learn about that. Um, I mean, yes, you have your duty mm. to the court, but on a day-to-day basis, you are dealing with the clients. Um, I guess, Darren, as principal, could you tell us, I guess, some of the traits that you kind of look out for future employees who are looking to work at your law firm or like under your guidance? I mean, Natalie's the only person here that I didn't know before she worked here and she's been fabulous and she's fabulous but everyone else pretty much came through the student grad program that we run here and we have interns on a day-to-day basis for you guys as, as students you know go out there and let people get to know you and when you get the opportunity just just shine and don't be scared of any experience because I always say you know in terms of your work there's definitely no such thing as a as a bad experience because even if you know like Natalie you do tax or superannuation well you're not going to know that you hate it unless you that's so lovely that's such a nice end to the episode thank you thank you so much for giving us your time and letting us have a little bit of an insight into what goes on at your firm so thank you again thank you ladies it's great thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Grind. We're thrilled to be able to bring you season two, which is out every Tuesday and Thursday. So make sure that you've subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast and don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. These links are in your show notes. That's it from us in this episode, but we'll see you in our next one. Bye.